0: True story. Um, another one was about two guys who got trapped in a shipping container. Their shipping container that was filled top to bottom with illegal drugs, and they got trapped there, so they had to call the police department to let them out. And uh, they, they had a bit of explaining to do upon that. Um, There's also the 36 year old cereal ice cream liquor in Louisiana. Maybe you heard about him. He would make his way in different grocery stores, into the frozen food aisle, he'd find a container of Blue Bell ice cream. It was very specific. He'd open the lid, he'd lick the ice cream in front of the camera, put the lid back on, and stick it back in the freezer. And uh, there is no shortage of, of knuckleheads in the news. And, and maybe um, it's not a bad life goal, To Never Find Yourself in the Headline as one of those knuckleheads, and um, it's in a way that's kind of what we're doing in the series that we started last week. Uh, We're in the book of Proverbs, and the series is called Foolproof. Uh, We started last week, uh, we were looking at the very last chapter, the last part of Proverbs, and this morning we're going to switch uh, from the back to the front and look at the first chapter, which is all about wising up, the journey of wising up, of 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 living and cultivating a life of wisdom, what that looks like, how we get it, and and what the values of all that is. And so if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to just turn to uh, Proverbs uh, chapter one. And uh, the first thing, just uh, starting out here, we're just gonna look at the first verse. And uh, this kind of describes the people of Proverbs. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Let me just stop right there. It starts out the book of Proverbs with an introduction to the author. Uh, Solomon is his name. And uh, the idea is that he didn't actually come up with every proverb in the book of Proverbs, but it's more likely he did put this collection together. And um, Solomon's story, you can find it in the Old Testament books of 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And if you're at all familiar with it, you know that it's what you would have to describe as a complicated story. Um, When Solomon became Israel's king, he had the kind of encounter, uh, a visit from God, the kind that all of us would love to have. Uh, God appeared to him and he made this unconditional offer that he said he would give Solomon anything he asked for, no conditions, no strings attached, And that offer was put right in front of Solomon. And of all the things that Solomon could have asked for, he asked God to give him wisdom. He asked him for the wisdom he needed to lead the people that God had entrusted to him. And and God was was so pleased with that response that, that he gave Solomon not only wisdom, but riches and possessions and honor as well. And so Solomon turned out to be the most successful king Israel ever had. And under his reign, Israel experienced this unprecedented prosperity, and Israel turned into the preeminent nation of the ancient world. Just listen to how Second Chronicles sums it up in chapter 9. It says this about King Solomon, that he excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore. And horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all the lands. Now, we don't really understand a lot of those ancient designations, but. Uh, that's a way of sighing that Solomon had it going on. He had it all. Elon Musk couldn't hold a candle uh, to what Solomon had. And that's true on one level, and yet on another level, Solomon was this highly flawed individual. Women, in particular, seemed to be a bit of an Achilles heel to him. Uh, the primary way he went about bringing in All of this prosperity into the nation of Israel was by forging these alliances with foreign kings and foreign nations. And and he did that by by marrying their daughters. And and that was something that was expressly forbidden uh, by God. And truth be told, Israel would struggle with that issue of compromise for for generations to come after Solomon's time. And you can kind of just follow the thread and see that it circles back to that example he said. Or or maybe to be more accurate to say that that it was the example that was set for him by his own father. Um, So in addition to being author, in addition to being king, verse one also tells us that Solomon was a son, the son of King David. Now we don't get his mother's name here in this introduction, but you may have heard it. Her name is Bathsheba. And David and Bathsheba had a bit of a complicated relationship themselves. And so Solomon, in a way, he sort of followed in, in the family footsteps. And I think the point I want to make is that none of that gets hidden from view. I, the, the Bible is just so brutally honest about people and their flaws, and their failures. And and one of the challenges for us is to be honest about our own failures and flaws, right? Um, You see, this is what we learn in Proverbs. Proverbs really comes down to one imperfect person passing down essential life lessons to the next generation. See, it's not about just passing down the highlight reel of our greatest moments. Um, It's not about us passing down a spotless track record, because if you know the gospel, you understand that's only something that Christ gives. Um, But truth be told, our failures can provide some of the most fertile moments for learning what it looks like to wise up. And those experiences can be passed on to others who can learn from our mistakes and just maybe not repeat them themselves. And so here's the point, as flawed as David was, he tried as best as he could to pass on what he'd learned to his son Solomon. And in writing this book of Proverbs, Solomon's doing the same thing. He's another flawed father, imperfectly attempting to pass on the lessons he'd learned to his own son, right? And the truth is that that's the way it works, right? This is the story of history. And one of the common attributes of every generation is that everyone is flawed. If you're a young person here this morning, please don't assume that because you are able to pick apart the flaws of those who have come before you, that that they have nothing to offer you that's worth your time. There's a kind of arrogant assumption that seems to run rampant in our society that reflects that. I think it might be more accurate to say that those who have gone before us are a lot like us, maybe just in different ways, right? And and, and news flash to all of us: this generation, whichever generation you are a part of, you're not gonna get it all right. And the next generation is gonna come along and remind you of that as well. But what I do wanna do, I do wanna challenge us throughout the course of this series is to, to, to work at opening up the lines of communication between generations. Um, think through what is it that short-circuits these communications and figure out how can we better listen to each other and learn from each other because that really, it really matters, and and Proverbs shows that. So so that's a very quick look at the people of Proverbs. Um, After that, um, let's look at the purpose. That's what comes next, and I'm going to read about it. There's four different purposes, and then we'll unlock each one. It says this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. There's a number of different purposes. Um, these are the intended outcomes that Solomon had in mind for those who would immerse themselves in this book. And so to, to, to look through four of them, the first is, is this. He says, to know wisdom and instruction. The idea is to receive instruction and training and essential life skills and and to come out with a set of tools in the toolbox to be able to navigate complicated life challenges. The word the Bible uses is the word called wisdom. And and wisdom, just to clarify, it goes far beyond just career success. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but there are plenty of people who are winning at work and losing at life. And that's not a good combination. Wisdom is not about separating different aspects of our lives. It's about integrating them, all of these different pieces together, and, and navigating them as a whole. That's what Proverbs is written to help with. The second point of Proverbs is to understand words of insight. Insight means being able to see beneath the surface, the surface, to 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 dive deeper and get to the heart of what's going on, or or maybe to discern the why behind the what. Uh, Reason being is maybe you've noticed it's not always obvious, right? Things are not as simple as they seem. Figuring out why people do the things they do is no easy task. And sometimes we have a hard enough time just trying to figure out why do I do the things that I do, right? Uh, life is complicated, and, and, and we're a lot like onions, right? There's just there's layers of what's going on. And, and, and Proverbs was written to help us take this journey from, from ignorance to insight. So, ignorance would cause us to just dismiss people, to label, categorize them, and dismiss them. Insight understands that there's all kinds of factors that are in place in people's lives, things like insecurities and, and inclinations and frustrations and disappointments and hurts and, and you name it. And, and, and it's a lot like that Billy Joel song that's, that's about being able to go back to the start to find out where the heartache began. Um, because sometimes the behavior is not reflective of the outside, it's reflective of something deep within. There's this theme in Proverbs that talks about the man or the woman of understanding. In chapter 20, verse five, it says the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. People like that, people who take the time to understand us, who take the time to get us. We like those people, right? Those are are people who are a blessing to be around. So that's the second purpose. The third purpose of Proverbs is to receive instruction. It says, in wise dealing regarding righteousness, justice, and equity. The idea here is that there are some ground rules for how human beings are to go about living together and treating each other. And so Proverbs teaches about doing the right thing, not just the quickest thing or the most expedient thing. It's, it's, it's about doing what's just and what's fair. And, and it assumes that there's this inerrant dignity to every human person. That's the outcome of being created in the image of God. And so because of that, moral categories have to get constructed. It's the only way we can live together with other people. Existence demands it. And I would tell you that evolutionary theory is at a loss to explain that reality. Honesty matters. Cheating is wrong. It's wrong to see corruption and then turn a blind eye. Abusing people is not acceptable, right? There are, we're going to find, there are some absolutes to abide by. And that is true as we're living in this world that's always wanting to shift the standards, right? It's wrong for you, but I'm always going to find some kind of excuse to justify why it's okay for me. And and Proverbs isn't going to let us do that. Fourth point of Proverbs, it says, is to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And so Proverbs was written to help move naive and gullible people who believe anything they hear and turn them into people with prudence and and discretion, who are able to see the big picture, to understand the choices and the consequences that go along with that. And that sometimes when something sounds too good to be true, it is. And learning to steer clear of that. By the way, the solution is not to become cynical. Um, It's to use discretion to walk away and just say, no, thanks, I'm not interested, and move on. So that's, in a nutshell, very quickly, the the purpose of Proverbs. And if you look at those purposes as a whole, just think about it for a moment. Aren't these attributes that we could all use a little bit more of, right? Particularly in this age of outrage that we're living in these days, there are so many agendas and influences that are at play in our world and in our lives. And a lot of them are doing a really good job of shaping people's lives and polarizing people against each other, shutting down conversation. And I just have a hunch that maybe this world could use some more people of wisdom, not just smarts and book knowledge, but wisdom. And and maybe as God's people, there's this opportunity. There's a moment here to seize. Imagine the impact that might be had if we let this book shape our lives more than we're being shaped maybe by our, uh, our Facebook feed or, or by the news commentators on cable networks. Um, just food for thought. Next verse uh, is Proverbs' first word to the wise. This word to the wise, the very first one, Proverbs addresses two things. One is those who are in need of wisdom, and second are those who already have wisdom. And I think what's so fascinating about this is that there's some very distinguishing marks that set apart those who are truly wise from those who are only wise in their own eyes. Or maybe a modern translation, those who are amazing in their own minds. It says this, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Now, you might expect that it would say, let the wise speak, right? You know, if you've built up all of these years of wisdom, just locate the nearest simpleton who's in need and start pouring out all of your amazing wisdom on them. But that's not what it says. That's that's not the way wisdom works. Let the wise listen and learn. In other words, one of the defining features of true wisdom is ongoing teachability, this continual desire to keep on learning and growing. Now, I've noticed that there comes a certain age where, where once there was this moldability, this pliability, this teachability, it starts hardening out into cement. Uh, Actually, to be more accurate, it's not cement. It's more like granite, right? Um, I'm 52 years old right now, and I think it happens somewhere around age 50, although your mileage may vary with that. Um, But we can get to this point where we start convincing ourselves that we've we've got it all figured out, right? And, And those who see things differently... The reflex response isn't like, hmm, I've never thought about it that way. You might have a point. Let me give that some consideration. Different starts getting defined as dangerous, as a threat to be crushed. That's crazy talk. What do you mean by that? And here's my hunch. My hunch, it's unproven, but I think... Those are the first steps of turning into a cranky old person. No offense intended, um, but you know who I'm talking about, and I hope it's not you. People who just can't understand why. Why don't people want to listen to this wealth of information that I've accumulated? I've got so many years of wisdom. Well, there's reasons for that. So word to the wise, watch out for that. It's, It's something in my own life, I have to work really hard to not let that hardening happen. Wisdom is a lifelong journey. We don't arrive this side of eternity. And one more thing, if you're one of the young guys or young gals and, and you're looking around, where can I find someone to speak into my life with that voice of wisdom? Take note. It may not be the person who's more focused on on talking and lecturing and telling you what to do. It may be more, it probably will be more, the person who's focused on listening and learning. Tap on that person. All right, so we looked at the person. We looked at the purpose. After that, Solomon shares this foundational principle upon which everything else in the book of Proverbs builds on and hinges over. It says this in Proverbs 1-7. This is where it all begins. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, so here's some introductory notes about uh, Proverbs. At first glance, you might open up the book of Proverbs and think this is probably the the least overtly spiritual book in the Bible. You know, this verse I just read is one of the few places where you even see the name God get mentioned. And there's not a whole lot in the book of Proverbs about praying or about going to church or about acts of devotion or anything like that. So do we conclude by that, that Solomon didn't think any of that stuff mattered? I don't think so. There's a different focus. The focus is on recognizing that because God is real, he's an active part in our lives and in this world, that that reality spills over into every area of life. See, what that means is that there's no divide between the sacred and the secular. God speaks, and he has something to say about everything we do. See, that means your work matters. The words you say matters. The way you view sex matters. The way you spend your money matters and you can just keep on going. Whatever category you can come up with, God has something to say about that. So there's no such thing as a compartmentalized Christianity that we kind of take out for an hour and a half on Sunday once a week and then we leave the church building and you put it away again till the next week, right? That's the whole idea behind this phrase, the fear of the Lord, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the point is not so much to be like afraid of him or scared of him. um, Although you don't want to throw that out because God is big and he's awesome. But it'd be more accurate to say that the point is to revere him. To fear God is to revere him. It's to see him as the reference point for each and every aspect of life. Now, now that may be for you something you've never even considered before. Um, Give that some thought. Because apart from that foundational fear of the Lord, I got to tell you, the book of Proverbs, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's going to feel like someone else is trespassing into your turf and telling you what to do. And that's actually exactly what is happening except for one thing. It's not your turf. It's God's. And... His domain is not limited to just sanctuaries and buildings. This world is his sanctuary and he has something to say about all of it. Now, now personally I got to tell you I feel really good about that. I find that to be incredibly good news because what that means is that whatever situation I'm in, number 1 I'm not on my own. God cares about it and he says something about it. He speaks into every situation. And it also means that I can narrow my focus into figuring just one thing out. That one thing is this, Lord, what do you want? How would you have me do this? That's that's pretty much the only thing that matters. And I find that to be better than the alternative because there is an alternative to, to fearing God. And the alternative is not to not fear anything, um, I hope you realize that it's it's actually to fear everything else, right? We're either our lives are either going to be fueled by this liberating fear of the Lord, or by the paralyzing fear of all of the realities in this world that are beyond our control. And have you noticed? There's a lot of them. There's a big world. There's a lot of things we don't know about, like the future, and, and we can worry about our finances and. We can fear expectations and what other people think of us and along with that comes just mounds and piles of stress and anxiety. And so I say, no, thank you. I would really rather just focus on that one thing. I'll just fear the Lord. I'll just care about and pay attention to what he's calling me to do. I think it's a much better deal. All right, so we've looked through the people, the purpose, the principle. The last three verses here close with the priority. Here's the single most important factor to wising up and taking this journey of wisdom. Here's what it says. It says, hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland around your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So the top priority to cultivating a wise life is the ability to listen well. That's it. Solomon is emphatic about it. He urges his son, hear your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. He assures his son that if he tunes in, if he takes to heart what mom and dad are trying to put into his heart, things are going to go well for him. He's going to turn out okay. He actually describes it like this, he says, garland wrapped around your head like a victor's crown. And along with that, he says, pendants of precious metals hanging around your neck. I I love it. It's like, listen to mom and dad, and you'll end up looking like a rap star, you know, with the crown and the chains and all that. (laughs) It's right here in the Bible. Uh, But really, it's, it's just a word picture that reminds us that blessing is the byproduct of listening to the right voices. And the reality is there are so many voices speaking into our lives and knowing which voice to tune in and which ones to turn off. That's like one of the secrets of finding a good life, of cultivating a good life and winning at life. My son, he says, if sinners entice you, do not consent. When I was a kid, I I learned that in the King James Version. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Very, very in your face. There are people to just shut down and shut out. Tune them out. Maybe like that, the internet influencer, right? With a with a sum total of 19 years of life experience under her belt. She's never met you. She doesn't know your name. But she is quite confident that she has a better handle on what it takes for you to succeed at life than your lame old out of touch mom and dad, right? You know the ones, the ones who love you, the ones who care for you, the ones who make sure there's food on the table each night and who would literally die on the spot for the sake of your well being. What do they know? Not everything but probably a whole lot more than you think, and quite definitely a whole lot more than her. All right, no, no matter what our age, no matter what season in life we find ourselves in, here's the priority. Tune in the right voices and turn off the wrong ones. The voice of wisdom, it comes in many different forms from many different places. And so we need to all make sure that door of our lives is staying open and receiving godly wisdom. There's there's no substitute for it. Where do you find it? Uh, being open to hearing that voice of wisdom. Ultimately, it's going to lead our lives back to hearing the voice of Jesus. Right? He is the one who knows us by name. He is the one who loves us the most. He is the one who literally laid down his life for us. And make no mistake, he will not withhold any good thing from his children's lives. He only and always works for what's best. And yeah, that means guardrailing our lives from those things that would cause us to go over a cliff and crash and burn so he can lead us to those places of blessing and of fillness. And so our call to cultivating a life of wisdom is keeping our hearts open to him as we make our way through this adventure that's called life. Let's pray together.